This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the New Books Network, and this is the Drugs, Addiction, and Recovery podcast. My name is Lucas Rickard, and welcome to you all. I'm currently recording from snowy Madison, Wisconsin, and today I'm joined by Ken Fonts, an Associate Professor of History at Washington State University. He's here to talk about his brand, brand new book. It just came out in 2021. It's called Heavy Traffic, Global Drug Trade in Historical Perspective. It's part of the Roots of Contemporary Issues series, and it's published by Oxford University Press. Ken, it's fantastic to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I think it's probably best to just start with you and talk a little bit about yourself and maybe, um, I guess, how you grew interested in studying drugs. Yeah, so as you said, I'm an associate professor in history at Washington State University, and I've taught there for uh, almost 20 years, about 20 years now. And so I started off uh, teaching, I'm, I'm an American historian originally, but I also got into teaching world history. And so I teach both. And um, I started working for WSU teaching uh, courses in world um, civilizations, world history that uh, all students at WSU had to take to graduate. Uh, We then evolved that into creating the Roots of Contemporary Issues course and program, which I was one of the developers of. And so all students at WSU have to take the course in order to graduate. And that's where this this book series came out of, is our teaching to mostly freshman students, but upper division two uh, in this. And so uh, how I got into drugs, uh, drug history, I should say that right. Uh, the um, While I was teaching U.S. history and then later world history, a lot of times uh, students would ask me questions about it, you know, and I I brought it into uh, lectures here and there as I went along because it was a topic, but it was a topic they were very interested in. They wanted to uh, relate it to what was happening around them in the world today. And so I started exploring it, researching it more, and it became clear that it's, you know, 
drug and alcohol history is central <laughs> to so many other things, but it's really given very light coverage a lot of the times in classes. And so I started teaching it more regularly. I developed a, a global drug trade uh, unit for the roots of contemporary issues, which the book it comes out of. And then I also developed a course in drugs and world history and some others as well and to start delving into it a lot deeper. As far as I can tell, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but as far as I can tell, this is the first book in the field, uh, in the field of drug and alcohol studies that's sort of aimed directly at undergrad students. Am I off base here? I, I think that is correct. I mean, there are some other books that cover uh, the history of drugs that I've used in classes before, but they're really not designed with undergraduate students in mind, especially uh, first, second year undergraduate students in mind. And is a lot of them cover certain aspects of drug history, all of that. This one goes beyond that to kind of cover a, a bigger time period and arc. Yeah, it's a great primer, uh, I think. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think of a few other books uh, that come to mind, but none um, that are aimed directly at the first and second year undergrads. So it seems to me it's a really helpful uh, addition to the field, uh, a good way of introducing undergrads to the topic. Um, I, I, so let's get into content a little bit. Uh, apart from the, the, the book's audience, um, it's called... Uh, heavy traffic, the global drug trade and historical perspective. I suppose, why does the global drug trade uh, matter for students today? Um, and I guess maybe more specifically, why does understanding it historically matter for students today? Well, um, I think it's very important because it's around them that they're seeing it. I mean, some of them are uh, experiencing uh, it in their own lives, but they're definitely seeing it in the news and all of this about all of these issues that are going on with uh, the illegal drug trade uh, primarily, but then other uh, aspects too. And so they're interested in it. And, and I think it's important to understand how we got to where we are today. And this is kind of the whole point of the book is that roots of contemporary issues idea. So we have this global trade in drugs and alcohol, uh, some of it illegal, some of it legal. Um, where did that come from? Why do we have such a huge global market? And it's important for students to understand this is not a modern phenomenon. It is not a just a US phenomenon. Uh, it, there's a long history of building up to where we are. And if they don't understand that history, I believe they, they're not really understanding what's happening to them, to the world, to our society today in relationships to drugs. So is there a favorite anecdote from the book that, that some of your students um, love? or I guess maybe even really speak to, to current debates? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's several in there that uh, the students find amazing because they didn't know it before, right? It's, yeah. you know, but, but one that I, I found that, that really strikes a chord with them because it relates to today is uh, the development of the global drug trade after World War II, the Cold War, uh, development of the global drug trade and the involvement of governments and government officials, uh, the war against communism and how all of this relates to drugs leading up to 
the war on drugs, because um, that war on drugs they're familiar with for what's happening today. Uh, but exploring the roots of how this all came about, they, they really get into it. And, learn, and learning about, well, all of the people and groups, you know, it's just not a simple, oh, somebody sells drugs, somebody gets addicted to drugs. There's all of these producers and consumers and government officials involved in it. And it ties into the Cold War and imperialism and uh, anti-communism. And, and they're just fascinated by that. that it's a bigger picture than they ever thought about. And rightly so, they should be fascinated by it. I, uh, so I'll, I'll just take a quick diversion for you and just say, uh, I mean, I teach pharmacy students and uh, I teach pharmacy students uh, the history of, of drugs and medicines and so on. And one of the things that they find fascinating is what were considered uh, active ingredients in drugs in the past. Uh, and so one of my favorite anecdotes has to do with... Um, how mummies from ancient Egypt were ground up and used as uh, as medicines and drugs, and that sometimes just blows their minds. So I guess all I'm saying is one of the best feelings as, as an instructor or teacher is to see sort of the lights go on with students, and, and the anecdote that you just shared uh, is, is great, I, I, and I've experienced that too. Um, but changing directions often... Uh, the story of uh, drugs and the drug trade has been told through the lens of uh, the U.S. It's been sort of very centralized in the United States, and I think that's slowly shifting. Um, and a, a decentering, if you will, is occurring relatively slowly. I'm not sure if you agree on that or disagree, but I guess I wanted to um, ask uh, if you could just maybe tell us a little bit about some of the uh, changes that are taking place and how uh, historians like yourself and others uh, are examining uh, drug policy today. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think, you know, um, it has been very U.S.-centered a lot of the time. Many things are <laughs> very U.S. centered at yeah. times in history, um, but um, I think that is changing, and I think it's important uh, to change that. And you know, the U.S. is very involved in uh, with drugs uh, in the, the markets and all of that in the 20th century, especially the later 20th century and up till today. But it wasn't always that way, and and that also doesn't mean that there aren't. Uh, other players in the world and other countries in the world. And so there's some, been some interesting things being done recently on that of looking at what were considered, um, and I guess you would not just U.S., but more Western-focused things like the opium wars in China, for example, that tended to be very Great Britain-centered, right? And, and there's some really good new histories coming out and research coming out of looking at it from the, the Asian and Chinese perspective of how they were seeing it, how they were involved in it. And it's not as simple as just Great Britain imposing their will on China. There, of course, there's a lot more things going on there and it gets to the root of that. And so I think that's a good thing, tying in other people from around the world, other cultures to impact. So it's not just a US problem, or issue, and the U.S. isn't the only one making the decisions in it. And it's a good, it's important to realize that that there's other players in this that are equally as important. I don't want to put you on the spot, uh, mm -hmm. I, but I do have a question about what some of your students have been interested in. So, in your experience, when you've been teaching uh, the global drug trade, are there certain countries 
or areas of the world that, that have really piqued their curiosity, certain parts uh, of the world that they think need to be explored more? Yeah, and, and it, 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 it varies depending on the year I'm, sure, I'm working yeah. on this, obviously. Uh, one favorite one, because uh, I have a lot of students do research projects on uh, drugs and alcohol. And one area that is popular and it has to do with popular culture is the fact of like uh, cocaine in South America, uh, because uh, Narcos was a very popular television series. And, and so when that was really very popular, all the students wanted to do something on Pablo Escobar and cocaine. And I had to shift them and say, yes, you know, that's important and it's there, but there's more going on than just that. Uh, so that was a one that always, and it's whatever I, in a lot of instances, whatever they know a little bit about or think they know a little bit about and or what's in the news a lot of times. And so it's important, I think, to branch them out into other things. And then once they get into it, they start getting into some other interesting things because I've seen um, several students get really interested in uh, gender and women and women in inequality tied to drugs and how, you know, in the past, uh, how women and men used drugs and how it was influenced in culturally in around the world, like in Asia, China, it typically was more men using opium while in Great Britain in the United States, it was more women using opium. And then they really want to explore why, why are those, those cultural differences in gender for why, who use these products most? Of course, everybody used them, but you know, it's the percentages. So those kind of things that they really start getting into once we start exploring it a little bit. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah. If people want extra reading out there, I'll point them towards uh, the special issue in the social history of alcohol and drugs that was edited by uh, Nancy Campbell and David Hertzberg that talks about um, gender and addiction uh, mm -hmm. that, and just to follow up on what you're saying there, Ken, because I, I, mean, mm -hmm. I have many students as well uh, who have been intrigued by this. Um, let, me, let me change uh, directions or pivot for a second. Is, is there an interesting uh, historical actor or maybe uh, a character that you wanted to share from the book? Is there is one that sort of jumps out and pops for you? Yeah, I mean, well, actually, I, I, that's a hard question because I think there are several, but yeah. um, one, one in particular that comes to mind, and, it, because, and especially with what we just talked about, is, uh, has to do with a, 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 Jap a Japanese woman's activist for uh, prohibition in Japan, uh, Kimura Toko. And, and so the uh, Women's Christian Temperance Union in the United States uh, expanded and became the world's women's Christian temperance union in order to reform the world and stop alcohol consumption. And so they went out to try to do this. And this is part of what I talk about in the book is the civilizing mission. You have to civilize the rest of the world. So it's that imperialistic, arrogant 
uh, Western attitude. Well, the interesting thing about her was that they formed, you know, they came to Japan and proselytized, and she was the wife of a, a Christian minister there in Japan, and she adopted this idea, and she liked the idea of this uh, concept, but she didn't like the Western influence of the ideas and the domination, and so she helped found the Japan, the Tokyo branch of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, and then her and her fellow uh, women activists renamed it to the uh, Women's Moral, the Japanese Women's Moral Reform uh, organization, and so they broadened it out, and they basically kind of shoved those Western women out and said, we're going to do, we like the concept, but we're going to do it of reforming Japanese culture, and there was a lot more issues in more equal rights for women in Japan in it, more say in politics for Japanese women, while they were trying to get rid of alcohol and other things that they felt were degrading society that were coming in to Japan during the, the Meiji Restoration period is what we're talking about. And I think she's really fascinating because, and it highlights this, it's not just about the U.S., right? The U.S. tried to impose their views on Japan, and Japan said, big concept we like, we don't like you here telling us what to do. We're going to do it our way and with Japanese culture kind of thing. And so it was a, a real interesting mix of cultures, but the Japanese dominating. So there's so many layers to that anecdote. Mm -hmm. There's so many layers because on the one hand, you have uh, sort of nationalism playing out. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and at the same time, you have this gender element. So there are multiple tensions playing uh, mm -hmm. Uh, there, that's that's pretty intriguing to me. I I want to make sure that I got across to to listeners uh, some of the breadth of the book, um, because um, one thing that occurred to me is that it, it, it might be hard for people who are, are brand new to this field to just sort of have a handle on sort of the scope. So the chapter uh, one is drugs and early modern globalization which uh, I suspect stretches back to the 1400s. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, it, it, really, the, it really kicks in in the uh, six, uh, end of the 1500s, 1600s is when it's really starting. And then chapter two, which is called the commercialization of opium and cocaine, is uh, obviously, as the title suggests, more... Um, focused on certain types of intoxicants. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that's, it seems that you're focusing mostly on the 18th century uh, and moving up to the present in that chapter, right? Yeah, well, 18th and 19th. 19th. So it, you, it starts in the 18th and brings us into the 19th century. Chapter three uh, for listeners is the globalization of drugs through imperialism. So this obviously relates to the question about uh, how the U.S. fits within uh, sort of the wider uh, international um, landscape. That's um, that was, I would say, probably my favorite chapter in the whole book. Yeah, and that's a lot about Great Britain in that one, because they were the first one to really move out in this. And that covers it's, it parallels chapter two by looking at it through an imperialism lens and, and covering uh, the end of the 18th century and 19th century. Chapter four is prohibition and civilizing mission, which uh, for listeners that is mostly alcohol. I think all alcohol that you're fo focusing on here. No, the, the, I also look at opium. 
Okay. Um, in oh, that God. one. So the yep. first half of the chapter is alcohol. The second half is opium. I love the discussion of cocaine cowboys. Sorry, I forgot about this. Yeah, yeah. And there's a little bit about cocaine too <laughs> that goes in there because you have cocaine from the last chapter being introduced. And then you wrap it up, chapter five, uh, or the final penultimate chapter is post-war globalizations, Cold War empires, and drug wars. What is it that uh, you wanted to get across about this um, second to last chapter before the conclusion? Um, this particular one, so the, the world changes, of course, after World War II, and the Cold War begins. So this is where I talk about Cold War drug trade and anti-communism and some things going there. And, and really, it's kind of, it's looking at it uh, still imperialism, but not the older imperialism. It's the imperialism of the Soviet Union trying to influence the world one direction, the United States the other direction, and how drugs fit into that. And then, of course, the end of colonialism and nationalism rising up and decolonization that fits into all of this as well. So that's what it's examining is the market gets diversified and huge in, you know, in the illegal ones while certain legal ones continue on. Because, you know, the book looks kind of focuses on uh, uh, rum, alcohol, and looking at rum, tobacco, coffee, and then op opiates and cocaine. Those are the five drugs that are focused on in the book, because obviously you can't talk about everything. <laughs> and so I just focused on those five. So this is, so this question, and you know, I, I can't recommend it enough. I, I just have to say that before I ask my next question, which is, I think that um, for all of you out there who are interested, this is, is a great primer. Um, but to the writing process, as I was reading this, I, I um, what sort of jumped out at me was the sort of the tricky tightrope that you're walking right? Because there's a balancing act that um, um, in writing a book for undergrads, uh, then, you know, opposed to writing a book for a popular audience, or opposed to writing a book for graduate students. Um, so I guess, can you just maybe explain some of the, your thought process and how that actually worked? Yeah, I mean, and, and the RCI series, the what when we created this series of books, what we wanted to do is, you know, target undergraduates and, and find that balance. And so we wanted them to understand the history of drugs, in my case, the history of drugs, and what's going on there, and that it's a complex topic. Uh, try to get them to see that it's not an in inevitable process, right? It's, you know, global, and it's through the lens of globalization. So globalization is not inevitable. It's just happens and you can't stop it and that you know it, you know outside of people and the same with drugs you know once again that somebody sells it somebody uses it you're addicted end of story that there's a lot of choices and decisions that are made by people uh, by governments government officials reformers producers merchants consumers you know so many different decisions that people make that all interact so it's a complex story and so trying to get it to hint at that complex story, to make them understand that without overwhelming them. That was a big part of the balancing act. And so the other part was, is kind of to mirror how to do this research. That's another part of it. And the book is set up so that they understand that, okay, you get a topic, you start 
finding sources, then you start using primary sources and how do you analyze primary sources uh, without misinterpreting them through the lens of today. And, and so it models, basically every chapter models the research process in a way. Uh, and so that, uh, and that was, that was the hard part, you know, trying to balance it. And it really did help that I taught this first. You know, I taught it in class to undergraduates and I saw what worked for them and what didn't. And so then those kind of things I brought in. And I definitely want to say a, a thank you to my co-authors in the series, because what we did, uh, we all um, met regularly and reviewed each other's chapters uh, you know, each awesome. of uh, the volumes and gave feedback on, well, what about this? Or I don't quite understand this, or I don't think a student's going to pick this up. And we did that for each other. And that was a huge help. I, I got to admit of just helping, you know, reviewing each other's work as we went along. Huge shout out to collaboration and, mm -hmm. and that collaborative writing process. Yeah, that's supremely important. I agree hundred percent. Mm -hmm. uh, I, so what's next for you? What's what's on the horizon? Um, well, I'm still teaching the classes, obviously, yeah. <laughs> and they're still outrageously popular. In fact, I'm teaching my drugs in world history course this semester, and so, um, and uh, so, writing wise, I'm not sure what I'm going to write next on drugs. But one thing, a project I'm, I'm working on to get started is actually um, at WSU putting together a more uh, comprehensive database of resources for doing research in drug history. Because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there, but it's scattered all over the place, and so you have to really hunt for it. And so I want to put together, and it, it will be digital as well, so they'll, you know, the idea would be to collect images, photographs, movie clips, once there were movies, you know, all kinds of sources, primary sources, and uh, uh, databases and collections in various places that can be tapped into and try to put it into one place, you know, one basically uh, database, one database that students then can go into or anybody researching drug history can go into and see what's already out there, what's available, what kind of primary sources can they tap into, you know, and it won't be all inclusive, of course, but it will be a growing thing once it's up and running, more continuously add to it. And so I'm hoping to get that project off the ground. I've been working on it a little bit to try to set this up so that way, you know, other researchers, because I mean, what I did is I went out and I just looked everywhere, constantly finding different things. And I've been doing that. And it's take it's time consuming and difficult. And I thought, well, you know, it'd be nice if some of this was on one platform and, you know, through the WSU library, I could just go to it and boom, there it is, you know, give me a start anyway. And so, so that's what I'd like to create. So. Brilliant. Uh that kind of repository would be super helpful, I think, for a lot of researchers, mm -hmm. uh, but also, obviously, a lot of uh, undergrad and grad students, too. So count me in, uh, <laughs> I, although I don't think you invited me, but, uh, but oh, count no, me that, in. I, yeah, right, right now, I'm just working on getting some funding to help <laughs> get this thing off the ground. So That's oh, exciting. That's a cool <laughs> project. Yeah. Um, well, everyone... Um, we've been joined today by uh, Dr. Ken Fonts. Uh, he was here talking about his book, Heavy Traffic, The Global 
drug trade and historical perspective. It's part of the Roots of Contemporary Issues series published by Oxford University Press just this year. Uh, it's a great introduction to the history of drugs across the planet. And uh, it's just been very informative talking to you, Ken. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it.